Well, again, I'm Camper Mundy, associate pastor here, and uh, as has already been done, I would also like to welcome those of you who are visiting. Uh, Happy Advent to all of you as well. We are back in the book of Revelation, and uh, this morning in particular, we're back in our sermon series uh, looking at the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where we see Jesus speaking his love to his church. Uh, but I, I first want to give you a little glimpse into family life for us. I mean, this is you know, nothing out of the ordinary uh, for a family that has a, a three-year-old daughter. Most of you know we have a little girl named Hope, and she's a great kid, a great sibling, uh, and a great explorer, as a lot of kids her age are. Now, with her adventurous spirit comes the tendency to, let's just say, run away in public places. So I'm, I'm thinking back to recently being at the grocery store and we're getting ready to leave, arms full of groceries and saying, Hope, we're going to go to the car now, but you need to stay with Dad. Yes, Daddy. Do you understand? Do not leave Dad's side. Okay, Daddy. Before I could get her hand, she took off. She was running right out into the middle of traffic. Stop! Hope! Come back! few of you startled by that, so were people around me at the grocery store. But very quickly, people realized that words that sounded harsh were actually words spoken in love. Love for a little girl who was running into danger. And that's what we find Jesus doing here in Revelation 3, speaking harsh words of love to the church in Laodicea. And that brings us to our text, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, it's found on page 1030, and for all of your Bibles, it should be in the back. Uh, This is the last of the seven letters uh, to the churches, and so being the last of the seven letters, it is also the last sermon in this particular series. However, we're not done with Revelation yet. Uh, We're going to wrap up the seven letters this week, and then next week we're going to begin an Advent series And we're going to springboard from these first few chapters in Revelation all the way to the back of the book and look at Revelation chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22 with the theme, the Advent theme of waiting. On what are we waiting? And we'll see how that unfolds in the coming four weeks. But this morning, uh, the final letter that we find uh, early in Revelation. And as we prepare... As we prepare to hear God's word, this particular letter, there's one thing I want you to note. This is the only church that Jesus does not commend for anything. He doesn't say anything good about them, nothing to affirm. All the other six, he has at least said something or hinted at something good there, but not this one. And yet, he loves them. And so with that in mind... Let's pray before we hear God's word. Our gracious God, we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for writing these letters. Not only to these churches 2,000 years ago, but to us today. Writing to us here in Williamsburg. Writing to us at Grace Covenant. And we pray that you would once again 
do that remarkable work of your spirit in opening our hearts to your word, your word to our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, that you would change us. We need you, Lord Jesus, and so we look to you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So hear the word of God from Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Jesus speaking. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. Well, this morning as we walk through this letter of Jesus to the church at Laodicea and to us, to help us better hear God's word, we're going to look at the passage under three headings. Uh, Context, condition, and call. Uh, The context of the city, Laodicea. The condition of the church there, and then the call of Jesus. And so first, the context. Context of the city. What do we know about Laodicea? Well, this is a fascinating city. The great city of Laodicea was known empire-wide for three things. A wealthy financial center, a prominent manufacturer of fine clothes, and it had a famous medical school. This was the place to be. Wealthy financial center. There were many banks all over the place. Each one was stockpiled with gold, solid gold. In other words, all of these banks were solvent. In A.D. 70, there was a severe earthquake. It leveled Laodicea, also nearby Philadelphia, Sardis. Imperial assistance was offered from Rome. Philadelphia, Sardis said, yes, please, thank you, we need this. Laodicea rejected the disaster relief. And they proudly rebuilt their city on their own with their very own resources. And in one account that I read, they did this in just under a year. Also a prominent manufacturer of fine clothes. They were were known for a glossy wool uh, from the sheep that were bred nearby. Uh, Laodicean garments were exported throughout the world. Royalty wore what they produced. 
And the Laodiceans were known as the best-dressed people in the Roman province of Asia. They also had a very fine medical school. Uh, Cutting-edge research and development. Cutting-edge treatment. If you had an illness, you wanted to be in Laodicea because they could make you well. In fact, and, and remember, this is 2,000 years ago. They were known specifically for an eye salve that they had developed, and it was used to treat blindness. Laodicea, wealthy, prosperous, a powerful city, for all intents and purposes, self-sufficient, except for one area, an important one at that. Laodicea lacked a natural local source of water. Now, they had water. I mean, remember, we're talking about a highly sophisticated city. Water was brought in from miles and miles away using an advanced aqueduct system of stone pipes. However, by the time it got to the city, the water was lukewarm, it smelled bad, and it tasted terrible. By contrast, the nearby cities, Hierapolis, Colossae, uh, Hierapolis was known for its medicinal hot springs. Colossae was known for its cold, refreshing mountain spring water. But the water of Laodicea? Neither. It was neither hot and healing, nor cold and refreshing. And so Jesus using this image of their detestable, nauseating drinking water, Jesus speaks into the self-sufficient sin of the church in Laodicea. And so that leads to our next point, condition. The condition of the church. What is going on within the church? Well, now that you, you know a little bit more about the city where this church is located, uh, Laodicea, I want to reread a few verses And now that you have the the larger context, see if you can begin to better hear Jesus speaking to this church, Jesus writing to this church. He knows them. He understands them. He knows the buttons to push to get their attention. Uh, Picking up verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm... And neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. A harsh rebuke. In fact, very personal, severe, piercing. And these words were especially piercing given that the Laodiceans, as proud as they were of their wealth and their power and their self-sufficiency, given the fact that they daily experienced the disgusting and inferior quality of their water in contrast to that of their neighbors. You see, they hated their own water and felt like spitting it out. In fact, sometimes visitors would come to Laodicea. There are records of this where they would, just, they would drink the local water, not realizing how bad it was, and spit it out. It was horrible. 
And here Jesus says the same thing about this church. A church that he died for. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now in the original Greek, the words are more crude. I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. Okay, it's the Christmas season. We don't talk a lot about vomit around Christmas, but we are today. Uh, Christmas season, a lot of our college students aren't here. Why? Because they're away for Thanksgiving break. But soon they'll be away for Christmas break. And I remember in college one particular Christmas break coming home and like most college students stayed up way too late and slept in even later. So by the time I got up and was ready for breakfast, you know, it was about an hour away for the rest of the world to have lunch. But I came down this one particular morning, went to the pantry, grabbed a big box of Frosted Flakes, my cereal of choice at the time, poured a bowl, uh, went to the refrigerator, grabbed a milk jug, and went back to my bowl of cereal. Pause for a moment. There's something you need to know about the Mundy family. Because every year during the Christmas season, my dad makes homemade eggnog. It is infused heavily with brandy and rum, and he stores it in milk jugs. Okay, back to my story. So, I reach into the refrigerator, grab a milk jug, go over to my Frosted Flakes. I can tell you know where this is going already. Pour it onto my cereal, and I'm just waiting on that nice, sweet taste, refreshing Frosted Flakes and fresh milk. And I take that bite, and I nearly puke, because I think that it is spoiled milk. What have I just swallowed? Now, then I realized it was eggnog, and so I poured myself a glass. No, I'm just kidding. And you see, this is what Jesus is getting at. Spoiled milk in his stomach. It turns his stomach. He will spit them out of his mouth in disgust of their pride, complacency, their self-reliance. Those finely dressed, and yet for those for whom Jesus has become a mere accessory to their fine clothing. Now note, the Laodiceans are not criticized for heresy. Apparently their their theology is orthodox. They have good doctrine and they go to church regularly. But it's all in their heads. Their hearts and thus their lives lack zeal and passion and an abiding dependence on Jesus. They have trusted in their wealth. Prosperity, power. I need nothing, they proclaim. They rely on their self-sufficiency rather than on Jesus. And aren't we in 21st century America much the same way? We too often trust in the wealth and prosperity and power of our nation. Now, hear me on this. Prosperity, in and of itself, is not the problem. That is not what Jesus is getting at. In fact, wealth, prosperity, power, not moral, not immoral. But trusting in anything other than Jesus, looking to anything else other than Jesus for our significance, our worth, our security, looking to anything else, trusting in anything else, is sin, plain and simple, and deadly. As Tim Keller puts it, there is a direct link between having it all 
and being lukewarm. Some of you are in the small group that's going through the course material, How People Change. In their book, Tim Lane and Paul Tripp insightfully write about our parenting today. One of the reasons teenagers are not excited by the gospel is that they do not think they need it. Many parents have successfully raised self-righteous little Pharisees, and when they look at themselves, they do not see a sinner in desperate need of grace, so they are not grateful for a Savior. And as I wrestle in my own heart, with my own lacking sense of need, where I try to grasp for other things to fill me, to define me, to give me security, I'm struck by the fact that maybe I'm suffering, maybe we are all suffering to one degree or another from affluenza. Have you heard of affluenza? I know you've heard of influenza. Probably most of you, hopefully most of you, got your flu shot this year. But I'm talking about affluenza. I didn't make this up. You can go Google it. Uh, It was a term coined uh, to describe a late 20th century, now a 21st century North American syndrome. Uh, First looked at in depth on a PBS documentary in 1997 where Ann Sukhanov defined it as this, affluenza. An array of psychological maladies such as isolation, boredom, passivity, and lack of motivation engendered in adults, teenagers, and children by the possession of great wealth. By the possession of great wealth. It is an unhappy condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. The dogged pursuit of more. Can you relate? That so defines me so much of the time. A dogged pursuit for more. What is the next best thing that can fill me? Where is it? How much is it? How do I get it? Now again, we've just begun the Advent season. And it's interesting to note that in America, every year... During the Christmas season, which, of course, the shopping season was kicked off on Friday, we spend on annual $450 billion annually. $450 billion. Now, there are more people who die in the world every year from a lack of clean water than anything else. A lack of clean water, the very thing that Laodicea lacked. And do you know how much it would cost to provide clean water for our entire world? Ten billion dollars. We spend 450 billion, it would take only 10 billion to provide clean water for the entire world. Now I don't say this to put a guilt trip on you. I'm just stating facts about our our culture and how God's word is speaking into us. And not only is Jesus pushing the buttons of the Laodiceans, but ours as well. I think of a friend of mine that I remember a few years after college. We were on the phone. He had a, a beautiful home in Atlanta. Fixed it up. I mean, it was nice. And I remember talking to him about it. I said, are you looking forward to settling down? He said, oh, no. Because 
Soon I will be able to get something bigger and better. And I said, well, what about after that? Oh, then I'm going to get something even bigger and better than that. And it was just this pursuit of more, this dogged pursuit of more and more. I got off the phone very judgmental until I realized, isn't that me as well? Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, most of you are familiar with her, and she was one time traveling in the poor country of Ghana. She was traveling with a group of Americans, and they went to a church service on Sunday, and like I typically have the privilege of doing here on Sunday mornings, getting to, to welcoming, uh, having the opportunity to welcome you to the church, uh, there was an older woman who was welcoming folks into the church that day, and she said, oh, and a special welcome to our American guests. Welcome to our friends. Welcome to Ghana, where we have joy because we need Jesus more. A poor country, but very much in touch with their need. Their need for Jesus. Now, of course, with the struggles in our current economy, much of our false sense of self-sufficiency has been exposed. And that's a painful thing. I'm not at all making light of that. But I think as some have experienced, it has also been a good thing in the sense that our eyes are opened and we realize that we are not rich. We are not capable. We cannot any longer proclaim, I need nothing. We begin to recognize that we are actually, as Jesus puts it to this church, we are actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. We begin to realize that we are poor and needy. Think about it. We sing those words expressed in that hymn. We often sing it here and will later uh, in the service. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. So we're exposed as being helpless and insufficient rather than being strong and self-sufficient. But we hear the good news. We sing that good news. Jesus ready stands to save us. And what does he require? All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. That's all he requires. That we would know our need for him and look to him. And so as we consider the church at Laodicea, as we consider the church in America, the church in Williamsburg, how does Jesus respond? How does he react to this, in his own word, this wretched church? He moves toward them. He moves toward us. And that leads to our final point, the call, the call of Jesus. Now, for sure, Jesus has spoken some harsh and pointed words here. You are lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth. I don't think that's anybody's memory verse. You say you need nothing, but you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch. Piercing, personal. But you know, I heard it put this way. Come on, Jesus, why are you being so hard on us? But I heard somebody say, well, you know, we're a lot like vending machines. You know, vending machines are great when they work. 
You put your money in and you get out the button that you push, the corresponding item comes out. But what about when you push the button and it just gets stuck? And it's just kind of hanging there. We begin to shake the machine so that it will come out. I've heard some people kick those machines. But God sometimes has to shake us so that he can get out of us what was created to come out, who we were meant to be. And he doesn't kick the crud out of the vending machine in malice like you and I might do. He shakes us in love. In love. That's why he gave his life. That's why he's writing this church. That's why he is writing to us. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't talk to us in the first place. He wouldn't speak to us. He wouldn't come after us. But we see this most clearly. Verse 19, Jesus says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. And throughout this letter, Jesus is speaking truth and love. And the stronger the love, the stronger the rebuke. If I didn't care about my little girl, fine. Run out into traffic. See what happens. But I love her. The stronger the love, the more exact, the more persistent, the stronger the rebuke. When your kids have run into traffic, you yell at them because you love them. You yell at them to save them. And when we run into traffic, Jesus yells at us because he loves us. He yells at us. He shakes us. He gets our attention to save us. Stop. Turn around. Come back. Look to me and to me alone. And that's the very thing that Jesus says to us in verse 19, the second part. He begins... Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So, so turn around. Be zealous and repent. Jesus calls us to repent. To turn from our sin of self-reliance and to turn to Him in Christ-reliance. To look to Jesus and to Jesus alone. The call here, plain and simple, is to repent. To repent and to repent. It's a continuous action, a continual call. Now, we often think of repentance as a one-time deal. You know, isn't that back when I came to faith in Jesus? I recognized that I had done a few bad things, and so I prayed, God, forgive me. I have done some bad things. I need you. I, I'm repentant. Okay, check, done. Done with repentance. I don't even know why we would do a prayer of confession at church every week. But remember, Jesus is speaking here to the church he is speaking to Christians. He is speaking to those who follow him. And he is calling them, he is calling us to repent again and again and again. You see, repentance is a way of life. Not a one-time act. It is a way of life for the believer. A daily exercise of genuine faith. It's a fruit, a gift. The gift of repentance. <clears throat> Is daily repentance a part of your life? Do you look to Jesus in prayer throughout your day? You know, we were created. We are the creatures. 
And we were created to need our Creator. We were created to depend on Him. Through word and prayer, with the rhythms of faith and repentance, that is our umbilical cord of life to our Savior, our Lord. And we see the beautiful rhythm of repentance, verses 19 through 21. A beautiful rhythm, and I say beautiful because it always begins and ends with Jesus. It doesn't start with me. It's about a God who loves and pursues. Verses, picking up verse 19. <clears throat> Those whom I love, I reprove, I rebuke, and discipline. So, be zealous. Be zealous and repent. And what does that look like? Behold, I stand at the door. I, Jesus, stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and to eat with you and you with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Be zealous and repent. The threefold beauty of repentance. Jesus steps toward us, wretched, pitiable, blind, naked, poor, steps toward us. God's initiative, I stand at the door and knock. And what is our response? Do we hear his voice? Responsive hearts opening the door daily. And then we see the, the bookend, God's faithfulness. I will eat with you, and you will sit with me in victory. What a gift. Do you see the beauty of the gospel here? To a self-reliant church and a self-sufficient culture, a church and a culture that were defining themselves by their wealth, look at what we have, we are rich. Defining themselves by the appearance of what they wore, Look at our fine clothing. No one is dressed in garments as fine as these. To a church that had such great medical advancements, they could treat blindness. Jesus speaks in love to a self-reliant church and a self-sufficient culture, inviting them. Verse 18, I counsel you, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may actually be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves. The shame of your nakedness, which you are so afraid for anyone to see, the shame of your nakedness may be covered. And buy from me salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may truly see. At the cross, Jesus became poor, that we might become rich with eternal glory. At the cross, Jesus was stripped naked that we might be clothed in his righteousness. At the cross, Jesus was blindfolded and mocked that we might be given sight, true sight, the eyes of faith. What a gift. And we buy these gifts. We've sung about it already. We buy them from Jesus. And how do we do that? Isaiah foretold, we buy these gifts without money and without cost. We buy them by grace, looking to Jesus and the price he paid on our behalf. We buy them through faith, a faith that is marked by daily repentance. 
So be zealous and repent. Repent, daily exchanging your false glory for Christ's true glory. For that is the very best that he has and desires for his church. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, our gracious God, that you would come after us, poor and needy, wretched, wounded, sick, and sore. Our gracious God, we thank you that it is Paul reminds us in Romans that your kindness leads us to repentance. We thank you that you are sometimes harsh with us and yet at the same time gentle because you care, because you love us. And would you help us to respond? And we pray with David, King David, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Reveal the grievous ways in us and lead us to repent. Lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.